Today's scripture reading is 1 John 1, 1 through 4, and it can be found on page 1021 in the Black Bible. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may, too, may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things, so that our joy may be complete." Good morning, everyone. Hey, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's great to see everyone. We're glad that you're here. Welcome. Holding your daughter is great for your heart during worship, but bad for your microphone. <clears throat> okay. Hey, uh, we are in a series. We're in a series on the mission statement of this church, and so... Um, We're preaching through the book of Colossians, but we're taking a break to spend four weeks talking about the different dynamics that are at work within our mission statement. One thing that I announced at our our member meeting last Sunday night was that we're making two adjustments to our mission statement. I didn't mention this last Sunday morning because I wanted to wait and say it to our members first, bring them in first. And then right now, I'm planning to add more clarity to that whole process. So this sermon is going to take a little bit more backfill than normal, but let me bring us, uh, by way of introduction, uh, up to speed on where we are. As the elders of this church chose to proceed with launching an autonomous congregation, we knew that there would be a list of questions. We knew that we'd need to revisit details. We need to revisit uh, background and confessions and even foundational theological documents to, uh, to make sure that we're focused and clear on everything that we're endorsing and building on top of as a church. And we chose to move forward slowly and prayerfully. A key principle of action that we've been living by is that we want to implement change in a wise way, in a responsible way, but also when it's necessary when it's needed, when we're convinced that that change is both helpful and necessary, we have proceeded. So there are two details of the old mission statement that fit categories that need to be adjusted. As the elders were establishing a foundation for forward trajectory, we chose to make two important changes. After discussion and prayer and hours of thoughtful deliberation, we have added a phrase to the mission statement and we have removed a phrase from the mission statement. The mission statement on the wall downstairs reads, we exist to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who exist for the glory of God and the good of the city. But at this point in the life of the church and in the times that we live in, We've decided that it would be more helpful and true to who we are as a church if we add one section of specificity and we remove one section of confusion or ambiguity. So let me, let me take a moment for a quick parenthesis before I move on. 
I'm not taking time to explain this this morning. I don't take time to explain this this morning because I think people in this church are fidgety or worried that we're changing a bunch of things, okay? This isn't to remove anxiety. I'm actually sensing in this church tons of hope and gratitude and positive, proactive attitudes in this church from leaders and volunteers and just the people who've been here and the people who are invested in the life and health of this church. The reason I'm taking this much time to explain this is so that everyone can understand that we don't make changes lightly as an elder body in this church. We pray and we consider and we talk and we think and we do that a lot. And, God, and we think about what God's called us to and how to accomplish what he's called us to. And we chop it up and pray about it as men. Now, yeah, we are, we are painstakingly intentional with changes that we make. Painstakingly intentional. We're not, we're not overly serious men. That's a good, a good reminder for me to smile while I'm up here. I didn't, ex- I didn't expect that. <laughs> we are not overly serious men. We don't take ourselves too seriously, but we too take this calling in this office very seriously. Very seriously. We're earnest and we're sincere. That's a value that I want you to understand and be able to see in us. I don't just want you to hear about it. I want you to be able to see it and experience it. Even with what may look like small changes or insignificant changes or adjustments. We want to be demonstrably intentional for your joy and for your edification as well. So we added clarity and specificity and we removed what we believe is confusing or ambiguous. Those are the reasons for what we did. So in the newest version of the mission statement, it reads, we exist to cultivate communities of transformed disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. As I read that, you may not even catch the changes that we've made, so I want to explicitly name them. We added the phrase of Jesus Christ. We removed the phrase for the good of the city at the end. And let me tell you why we made those decisions. First, if you're asking why did we add of Jesus Christ, we did this because in today's culture, the different variations of things out there in the world that call themselves Christian are many, and we can't be too specific about what we mean when we call ourselves disciples. The disciples that we're trying to cultivate here are unique from maybe disciples that are being cultivated in different places. We wanted to be overly specific and overly clear that here in this place, we aim and we organize and we sacrifice and we give our money and we give our time and we give our lives to see each other become more like Jesus. More like Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's a person who follows somebody's lead. And here we're following Jesus Christ unapologetically and unwaveringly. We wanted to be even more specific about that. And so we added his title, Jesus. Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one of God, Jesus Christ. He is who we follow. He is who we want to become like. He is who we measure everything by. He is our aim, our goal, our focus in everything that we do. We exist to cultivate communities of transformed disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. 
And second, we took off the phrase for the good of the city from the end of our mission statement. And we did this because that phrase has proved to be unhelpful or confusing over the years of its existence. So uh, right away, it matters to me that you don't make the mistake of thinking that that means that we don't care about the city. In fact, I would say that we took that phrase off for exactly the opposite reason. We removed the phrase because we love the city and we love the country and we love the suburbs and we loved gated neighborhoods. We removed it because we love villages in, developing, in the developing world who need missionaries to tell them about Jesus. We removed it because we love our next door neighbors and we love them no matter where they come from, right? The glory of God is good for the city and the glory of God is good everywhere that it is cherished and treasured and upheld. The phrase has proved to be distracting and confusing and we wanted to remove it because we have people in this church from everywhere, from all kinds of contexts and backgrounds. And we probably will continue to have people here from rural communities and the urban core and other contexts. And what's important to us is that we want to see the transformation of Jesus Christ invade every single one of those contexts. Additionally, for the good of this city is actually a phrase that's born out of an explicitly kind of city-focused church planting movement from the early 2000s. And that movement is part of our heritage as a church, but it isn't aligned or critical to our vision for the future. We added for specificity and clarity and we subtracted to remove ambiguity and confusion and because for the good of the city is too limited. It's too limited. We want to do whatever God has called us to. And if that spills over into the banks of other things, we want to be obedient. So this week we're talking about communion. The, the, the elements, the dynamics of our mission statement are all essential to the, the mission of this church and our vision as we look into the future for this church. And those four dynamics that I'm focusing on, the way that I'm choosing to arrange the mission statement so that it's easier to get a grip on and understand real concretely what it's about, the, the, the different, the different um, categories that I'm using are as follows. Last week we talked about cultivation, and that's the work we want to do. This week we're going to talk about communion, and that's who we want to work with. Real quickly, first communion with the living God, the triune God, and then communion and community and fellowship with other believers. Then third, transformation, and that is the work that only God can do in this place. That's where we pray and plead and show up week after week after week after week, begging for the Spirit of God to transform us from the inside out. And then fourth, vocation. And that's how you live it out in every aspect of your life. Vocation is the for the glory of God peace. Vocation is the part where we turn outward to our lives and our context and our neighborhoods, whatever kind of neighborhood it is, to live out the mission of God in our lives. This week we're talking about communion. So let me pray for us and then we'll, then we'll get started. Would you bow your heads with me and pray with me before I read John, 1 John 1 again? Bow your heads. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you 
Thank you for the individuals that you have brought into this place. Thank you for the hearts and the stories. Thank you for the wounds and the strengths. Thank you for the immaturity and the maturity that you decided to put in this room this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Spirit of God, would you show up Would you show up and change us as a people? Would you knit us together? Would you deepen, deepen our vision and our value for Christian community, Christian communion and fellowship, sharing, sharing things in common, participation with? Would you knit our hearts together in love? Would you make the fabric of this community tightly knit together? And would you do it by your power? Would this be supernaturally wrought? We're not interested in anything less than that. And yet also, we don't want to hammer a nail unless you're in it. Unless the Lord builds a house, we build in vain. Unless you watch the city, we watch in vain. So would you come, Holy Spirit, Uh, imbue our efforts, make us zealous and passionate and humble people. Apply your word to our hearts this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so 1 John 1, 1 through 4 says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was, was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. One burden, one specific burden that I have as a pastor is a deep kind of refusal to do what I call playing church. Playing church. And I think part of that is bound up in my own personal story. I think it's how God made me. And in my personal life with God, I have a deep refusal to play church. I've been in, I've, I've, as, as, a, um, as a pastor and as a man, I consider my life as one that's experienced being in the belly of a fish. Just like Jonah got into the belly of a fish because of his rebellion and refusal to obey God's call and instruction in his life. And I've experienced the same kind of darkness in my own backsliding and rebellion, especially as a man in my early 20s. And when God called me back to the church, he called me back to a church that that was full of the grace of God and the kind of grace that has teeth. It has teeth. Over 12 years ago, he gave me a deep discontent with what I would call playing church. And that's just a way of saying I don't like to play pretend here. I don't want to pretend that my sin isn't there. I don't want to pretend that my weakness doesn't have real consequences. I don't want to pretend that I see everything clearly. I don't want to pretend that I have it all figured out. And you're probably thinking, great, Mark, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I want to be explicit for us today I don't want us to play community either. Yeah. I don't want us to play pretend community. 
The kind of community that you might be able to get at the country club or the dog park or the PTA. I chose the word communion to emphasize depth and the rich character that we're aiming for in the relationships of this body and our attitude towards relationships in general. We don't value community per se by the world's definition. We value true and lasting and deepening communion with God and true and sincere communion with other believers and other churches. I've said that community or communion is who, the who of who we want to work with. And I've worded it that way to help it be more memorable. But the who is first and foremost, God himself. God himself. We want to do work that is in deep communion with God and sincere biblical relationships with other people. When we use the word community, we don't mean generic or undefined community. That word is one of 50 words that have all but lost their meaning today. But the words we use in church need to be defined not by the world's standards, but by God's, by what he says in his word. So this text helps us see the depth of what is shared as a community of Christians. This text helps us understand what we mean by communion or transformed disciples, communities of transformed disciples. And I want us to understand that, that because if we don't understand it, we'll tend to cheapen what's offered in the scriptures. And we might also demand something from other people that they're not designed to give to us. So I'm just going to make two movements with my time left. I'm going to talk about Christ is the key to communion with the Father and Christ is the key to communion with other believers. First, I want to start in verse 3 and unpack the reality that Christ is the only way to communion with the Father. This text says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And most commentators agree that if you take the wording and the background right here, and you take the other uses of similar words by the Apostle John in his other writings and you take the language that he selects at the beginning of this letter, together they all confirm that this phrase, that which is from the beginning, is a clear and direct reference to Jesus. To Jesus. Listen to John, John 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, that is the Word, was in the beginning with God. Then, if you look again at 1 John, it says, this is the message that was heard, but not only was it heard, this is the message that was seen, but not only was it seen, this is the message that was touched. In our, in our text this morning, what Whatever was from the beginning was heard and seen and touched with their very own hands. There would have been zero. There would have been zero questions from his readers about who John is referring to. It is the word, the eternal word made manifest, come in the flesh, the incarnate son of God. And we don't have to go very far for more help with this text because John himself provides lots of cross references for us. This life, this life that's being spoken of is eternal life and was with the Father. Listen to John 17, one through three. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son 
that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know you, that they know you. Jesus is talking to his Father. To know God is eternal life. Jesus even calls himself the way, the truth, and the life in John's gospel. This is the primary communion that a distinctively Christian community must possess. God is the basis for what we do here. God is the basis for our community. God is the foundation for this assembly. We'd have no reason to be here if God hadn't rescued us and brought us into fellowship with himself. He gives us his spirit and makes us a new creation, life, eternal life. It's, find, it's not finding some uh, mythical fountain of youth. It's knowing God. It's coming to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. And Christian community cannot be formed around false gods, right? Community isn't a thing out there in the world for you to look for with a capital C that can solve all your problems. Today, everybody has a community, quote unquote. I hear groups talking about what serves their community or the good of the community. The word community shares things in common with words, with the words fellowship and communion, which means it sharing something, sharing something in common. So, so out in the world, you have the gaming community. That's what they share in common. You have online communities. You have the farming community. You even have people talk about the homeless community. And all these groups share something. And we aren't Christian community unless what we share is communion with God, with God. The triune God is what we hold in common. Knowing the Father and the Son through the Spirit is life, is eternal life. And that reality is what we share. If, if like I said last week, we're here for grace empowered work, the most primary person involved in that work is the one giving the grace in the first place. God is the active one in our midst. Fellowship with the Father and the Son through the Spirit, the triune God. And he's the only one who can provide what we need to do the work that we want to do, indeed to do the work that we are called to. The triune God is who we're most concerned about here. And we're concerned about our communion with him. When we think about community as a church, we should think about the community of the Trinity before we start thinking about what we can get from this place or what's in it for us. Our consumeristic impulses are not what we mean by community here. Christian communion is not a commodity that you can purchase on Amazon. Christian communion starts with God himself, and that begs the question, do you know him? Do you know him? 
Do you commune with the Father and the Son through the Spirit? Do you read the Word that is the living Word that also made the world and made everything in the universe? Everyone in the world right now has attached the word community to whatever group they want to identify with. But what you and I have in common is access to God the Father. So when we worship on Sundays, we ascend the mountain of God to sing and to gaze at his beauty, to be arrested by his glory and to be undone by his perfect holiness. We don't sing out of habit or routine. We don't sing because that's what you do in church. We sing because God deserves it. He deserves it. We praise because it fits. It fits. We center our Sundays, both the preaching and the singing around God, because he's the reason that we're here at all. He's the focus. Our Christian community isn't about us primarily. It's about God. And if we lose the center, we lose everything. And union with Christ takes us into communion with the Father and the Son. And as we proclaim that together, we do it so that we too may have fellowship with one another. With one another. This is the horizontal dimension of communion. My, my second point today, Christ is key to communion with other believers. The essence of communion with other believers is the deep and powerful meaning of the word koinonia. That's the Greek word for fellowship in the scriptures, but the point I'm making is the same. Shared participation, shared experience, something having, having something deeply foundational in common with one another. So Christian communion or Christian fellowship can only exist where Christ is. That's it. You share something with other believers that's more essential and more powerful than anything else that you can share with anybody. With anybody. And we want to be a people that labor together for relationships that, that glorify God and demonstrate biblical realities, biblical truth. So three aspects of biblical fellowship that I'm going to highlight today. There's more, but just three that I'm going to highlight today are confession, repentance, and biblical sincerity. Biblical sincerity. Cultivating true Christian community requires biblical confession, biblical repentance, and biblical sincerity. James chapter 5, verses 15 through 16 says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. John says a little later in chapter 1 that if we want to have fellowship with the Father and with one another, we have to walk in the light. We have to walk in the light. And that was striking to me as I was looking at this text in this book this week. Have you ever thought, have you ever thought of the impact your life has when you walk in shadows on the rest of the community? The impact that your life has when you walk in the darkness 
on the fabric of the fellowship in this place. It's not just about you. It's not just about you. Sin erodes the fabric of fellowship in a community. The Bible explains if you're hiding sin, your hiding has a cost associated with it. It costs you fellowship with other people. Some of you know this. You know what it feels like to spend tons of energy hiding and hiding and hiding and making sure that something in your life that you don't get found out. And you know how that actually puts up walls and keeps you away from knowing people in deeper ways than you would otherwise. If you're hiding darkness in your life, that hiding and concealing of sin prohibits you from true Christian fellowship. And I know that might not be talked about a lot. In fact, I grew up in a church that I loved and it was, it, was a, it was a godly, wonderful place to be, but it didn't talk about sin very much. And the funny thing is that the church's name was Christian Fellowship. And fellowship is also in our name. And if we want to be intentional and serious about that, then we have to talk about sin a lot. A sermon on communion with one another is going to be deeper and sting more than just holding hands and singing songs together. It deals with deep things in our hearts if we want to be connected to other believers. If we want to be serious about it, then we'll talk about sin and not because we want to guilt anybody and not because we want to shame anybody or beat anybody down, but because we're committed to seeing real and rich communion and fellowship amongst the body. And John explains, if you're walking in sin, you're out of communion with others. John also knows that we're going to sin. We're going to sin. He says, if you say you, you have no sin, you're lying and the truth of God is not in you. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. You, you have a way, a place to go. Jesus Christ died and was the, was the person that bore the wrath of God on your behalf. So do we want real fellowship, biblically sincere relationships. John tells us how to get it. And it isn't what we might think. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we walk in the light like he's in the light, then, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We can't have the kind of fellowship that John talks about without understanding and without dealing with our sin. And I want to be really clear at, at this point to reiterate something that I always mean from the pulpit here. I don't mean his sin or her sin or that other person's sin. This isn't marching orders to go hunting for other people's sin in our church to point out or to poke. This is about your sin and it's about my sin. It's about our sin. That's the pathway to the kind of community that we want to cultivate. And that means that we should be excavating our hearts and repenting of sin. And then sins common in one church, in a church like ours maybe, are different than sins you might come up against in different churches and other places. So what I'm going to do for a few minutes is I'm going to name some sins. 
I'm just going to name some real sins that surround us in our culture and surround us in the world that mostly pay off out in the world. And so we're always being told that there's nothing wrong with them. So let me ask a few questions. When was the last time that you found yourself confessing and repenting of grumbling or murmuring or complaining? You see, our consumer-oriented culture rewards complaining, rewards poking all the holes in something, rewards grumbling, reinforces murmuring. What else? Maybe, maybe greed is a sin for the people in this church or one that the people in this church struggle with. Or maybe it's vanity. Or maybe it's partiality, playing, playing favorites based on socioeconomic status or maybe something else. Has anyone in this room ever repented of conceit, jealousy, envy? I named these because Galatians 5 tells us that these sins make us devour each other instead of needing us together in community and fellowship. They have the opposite effect. We'll eat the community instead of strengthen it. Things like gossip and slander, hidden sins like bitterness and judgment and haughtiness and resentment or even personal hatred for somebody else. Those things are here. Those things are here. And those things work to keep us separate from one another and out of healthy, truthful community. If you sin in any of those ways and you're subtle about it, then you're not likely to get a lot of pushback in a lot of churches today. All of those sins are pretty acceptable as long as they're subtle in today's culture. In fact, it's pretty acceptable to do even more than that, to sin in these ways and then paste them on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter in front of everybody. See, the, the, the value in the culture right now is to glory in certain sins and to celebrate certain sins. But what kind of church would we be if we had the courage to confess things like what I just named, things like jealousy or envy? You see, we don't confess those sins because those sins are embarrassing. To envy somebody else is embarrassing. Admitting that you're jealous makes you feel embarrassed. We feel silly or stupid or weak if we confess things like being jealous or envious of our friends. But what kind of church would we be if we could confess having the embarrassing sins? If we could confess hatred in our hearts towards somebody who has no clue, no clue how you feel? What if we could have the courage to ask for forgiveness? Nowadays in culture, we talk about, we talk about community and we mostly just mean getting new friends because we're lonely. But fellowship means having something in common. And we're only here because we have one thing in common. We have Jesus Christ in common. We aren't here because we have KU or K-State or even the Chiefs in common. But we're here because of Jesus. We aren't here. We aren't here because we like the same things or we even live in the same part of town. We're here because of Jesus. 
One pastor says it this way. He says, fellowship is a personal experience of sharing something significant in common with others. It's the pleasure of being in a group when you see eye to eye on what really matters. It's having similar values and responding with the same kind of affection to what really counts. It's what gives root and fiber and fruit even to a Christian marriage. A church that plays pretend community can get away with patronizing and lying and hiding sin, but biblical sincerity demands that we deal honestly with our relationships, that we courageously trust Christ and move toward things like conflict and challenge, and we abide biblical sincerity. Sincerity is a commanded virtue in the New Testament that isn't talked about much, but biblical sincerity forbids posturing, and it forbids pretending. It forbids things like flattery. Someone has said, if gossip is what you say behind somebody's back that you would never say to their face, then flattery is saying something to someone's face that you would never say behind their back. And the Bible forbids it. Biblical sincerity forbids that. It also forbids succumbing to peer pressure. If you just go with the crowd because, of, because you're afraid of what they'll think of you or say about you, and you trample on your conscience, then you're being insincere and lacking in integrity in that moment. And true biblical relationships are truly loving, which means they're truly sincere. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, But the goal of our instruction is to love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly and from a pure heart. And 1 Thessalonians reminds us that God examines our hearts. So flattery might fool the person that you're talking to. It does not fool God. Flattering speech exists to please men, but not God. Flattery, deceit, those things rob us of true fellowship in the body of Christ. So, so in summary... Communion with the triune God and biblically sincere communion and fellowship with one another is what we mean when we talk about community here in this church. We don't mean online community and we don't mean a club and we don't mean something that we think we're entitled to or something that we think we have a right to. Biblical community has to be cultivated, just like we talked about last week, not demanded. It takes risk. It takes humility. It takes active humility. It takes work. It takes the scrapes and bumps and bruises and dirt under your fingernails of cultivation. Any farmer will tell you. And the fruit of Christian community is heavy. It's heavy. It's beautiful and worth it, but it's heavy. We don't mean playing pretend. What we mean is obsessing about Jesus together, confessing sin to each other, being honest about places that we're lying to each other. And what we mean 
And what we mean takes guts. It takes guts. What we mean takes courage and being honest about our own sin, our own weakness, our own failure. We don't have to be perfect here to get biblical communion, but we do want to square up to those challenges. We want to be the kind of place that encourages and supports and helps others as they square up to the obstacles that will try to keep us away from biblical community. If you want fellowship with God, repentance is the doorway and the lifestyle. One reformer famously said, all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. If we want powerful and deep communion as a church, confessing sin, repenting, and being sincere are essential to have it. So let me, let me close by reminding all of us in this room who name the name of Jesus, you're free. You're free. You're free from the temptations and the things in your life that put pressure on you to violate biblical sincerity. You're free from those things. You're free because the gospel's true. And because the gospel is true, you don't have to try and pretend to be something or somebody that you're not. Because the gospel's true, we don't have to lie to each other. Because the gospel is true, we don't have to try to impress each other or succumb to temptation to judge others and look down on other people. Because the gospel is true, we can face hard things in our lives and we can confess sin and be cleansed of all unrighteousness and have true and lasting communion with God and honest and sincere communion with one another. Praise God. That's what I want. That's what I want for us. So let's close with some words from 1 Thessalonians just to remind us about how this dynamic works. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also share with you our very selves. Our very selves. But look what this is connected to in this text. It says, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked day and night. The fact is, is as much as we would want this, as much as we want true fellowship with one another, as much as we don't want to carry bags of hidden sins and weaknesses and immaturities with us everywhere we go, the fact is that as much as we might want to be free of those things, only the power of God can do that for us. So we want to be a place that embraces the grace of God and works really hard. And we, so we, we want to lean on him for that grace, confess and repent and have honest eye-to-eye -eye relationships where we're not hiding things or faking things or flattering people or gossiping. And the only way to do that is through grace-empowered work. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you make that real here? Would you make that real here? Would we not think more highly of ourselves than we ought? Would you grow? Would you grow powerful, supernatural, unbelievable humility in this place?
Would you grow a desire to compete to honor other people and not ourselves? Would you grow that here? We'll water, we'll till, but only you can bring the growth. And would you do it? Would you do it? Would you knit our hearts together? Would we be more real and honest and careful and considerate and compassionate with one another? Would you, would you grow affection for this body, for this family? Would you grow that in our hearts? Would you open our eyes? Would you slow us down? Would you carve out spaces in our hearts for other people in this church? Would you help us to be a confessing people? Would you help us to be a repenting people? Would you help us to be a sincere people? And would you do that now by the power of the Holy Spirit? Change us from the inside out, I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.